All right, here we go, guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 43 of the Unified Rules of Podcast. We got our last episode of the year as, 22, as 2022 winds down, and I don't know if you've noticed this, Edmund, there's a little bit of a lull as far as mixed martial arts events going on this time at this time of year. I feel like there's a lull in everything, which... For me, that's that's a relief, man. I I need a break from all the craziness because I feel like twenty twenty three is going to be even crazier. Any particular reason why you feel like that, or is is there like things in the work, or is that just how it the new year always or seems to be for you? I feel like I don't know, man. I feel like twenty twenty two is been a little rocky, but I feel like everything's just going to be crazier next year and then i'll chill out in 2024 2025 just in terms of life in general man you know oh okay just just given what's going on in your life personally in the world man oh i see okay in ukraine and all that not to get all political and stuff but you know yeah yeah i can i can i can see that and (laughs) sorry what was that it's been one of the crazier things this year i guess yeah, a little bit, and I, I don't know, I guess also, I don't know, this might be a weird thing to say, but I feel like this is the first year since the whole COVID pandemic where, okay, this is the first full calendar year we're entering where there's some sense of normalcy or things aren't quite as chaotic. I mean, the beginning of 2022, that wasn't exactly the case because the Omicron variant, but I don't know, I feel like as more and more time goes by, we're going to get further and further away from that from basically those troubles yeah i mean not to say that we're entirely out of the woods but i mean if you just look at the trend of things that are happening it's kind of along the lines of okay yeah you know there there's there's just the there's a shift going on i guess i don't know yeah yeah i agree i agree with that Although I, when you said it, it's been a little rocky, I couldn't help but think of either the Rocky movies or Leon Edwards, whose nickname is Rocky. Dude, oh man, Rocky movies! I'm excited for that Creed movie that's going to come out next year too in March. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to Creed. I mean, I not to not to get too off tangent with this stuff, but I remember I was kind of skeptical about the Creed movies when they first came out, where I was sort of thinking to myself, why are they doing this? But as it turns out, those movies have actually been really good, and I've enjoyed them a lot. Same here, man. Same here. Like I said, there's a little bit of a lull as far as mixed martial arts goes, but the year is not over yet because New Year's Eve, in true MMA tradition, at least with the sport in Japan, there's going to be a New Year's Eve card, Bellator MMA versus Ryzen Fighting Federation. And, you know, I guess one thing that I was kind of thinking about, Edmund, is the fact that I wasn't exactly sure. I don't know. I'm. It's weird. I'm excited, but I'm also a little nervous about doing this episode just because I'm not really sure what direction this conversation is going to go. I know what you mean. I mean, honestly... I'm excited too on that just because this is like kind of the event that we kind of wanted at least like 10 or 12 years ago. When and and are you UFC... talking about, sorry, go. 
Well, I, I'm kind of talking about like when the whole when the, the UFC was basically reaching like mainstream popularity, and then I feel like Pride was kind of right at its peak, right before they all kind of collapse. You know. So you're talking about like 2006, maybe, because that was when, you know, that was the year after the whole Ultimate Fighter stuff and the yeah. boom. And then, like, obviously, 2006 was the last full calendar year Pride was in existence. So you're so, talking about yeah, that time frame? Definitely. Late 2000s, mid 2000s, that time frame. Just because this is like, I mean, granted, Ryzen isn't the biggest promotion in Asia and neither is Bellator in the West, but the idea behind this of like, first of all, like a big co-promotional event is really cool. You know, I don't even know when's the last time like something like this happened. You know, that just brings a smile on my face because I'll, I'll share with you a little bit of a tidbit in a second but one thing that i wanted to comment on on what you said as far as it seems like going into this episode one of the things i was thinking about is how i feel like a big component of this conversation is going to be regarding co-promotion because truth be told a lot of the fighters on the ryzen side i'm learning about or i'm seeing for the first time and it just seems as though this is noteworthy because co-promotion cross-promotional bouts that's something we don't get in mixed martial arts a lot and i don't know even like just thinking about this episode i'm thinking is this going to be more of just talking about how just what the history of cross-promotion has been in mixed martial arts i mean is there even what is the history on that you know <laughs> i can't imagine like i i've never even thought of any cross promotional thing happening at least in the west i know like in japan in the early days they they had some cross promotional stuff going on because like they had all these different organizations with like pancrase and pride and I think they also had one just called Ballet Tudo. I don't know. I yeah. don't even remember. But no, no. Here, here. I can fill you in on some of that stuff. As here far you as go. history lesson, me man. As far as as far as like cross promotions go, here's the deal. In and I'm just gonna go with the really famous instances of it, or the most well known. So in 2002, Pride and k1 it was a kickboxing organization in japan for just in case if people aren't aware who are listening to this k1 was basically the nba or the nfl of kickboxing at that time so pride fighting championship and k1 they came together to do a co-promoted event called shockwave dynamite or it, it i think in the west it was called shockwave and over there's dynamite or shockwave dynamite and all that stuff so there was a mixture of mixed martial arts and kickboxing bouts on there so that was a really really big event that happened at the tokyo national stadium and that drew somewhere between i mean the the rumor or the popular belief is that it got ninety-one thousand fans but it might have actually just been more like seventy-one thousand. so it's somewhere between 71 and ninety-one thousand. Uh, that really quick, Edmund. That was the event where where Bob Sapp and Minotaro Nogueira fought each other. 
okay super like geez 20 20 years ago yes at this point right oh my god but but here's the thing that's not the only one that's not the only instance so there's that and then there was in 2003 some efforts that the ufc made well i don't know if i I don't know. It's kind of weird to put it that way, but basically in 2003, the UFC sent Chuck Liddell over to pride fighting championship in their middleweight grand prix because they wanted to try to make the Vanderlei Silva Chuck Liddell fight happen. And that was the tournament where Chuck got to the semifinals, but lost to rampage for the first time. So that kind of just blew up in their faces a little bit. I remember that, but that wasn't a co-promotion, right? They just let Chuck Liddell go to Japan, if I recall. Right? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess I probably should have put a little bit of an asterisk to it. I mean, it was cross-promotional in the sense that the UFC let Chuck Liddell do it. And I guess I'm just bringing that up as an instance because it was kind of like, okay, cross-promotional yeah. efforts, I suppose, at the right, very least. And... It, it's it's i mean honestly in doing my research for this episode it's one of the more popular sort of instances people like to say so there's that instance and then 2007 i know that elite xc and strike force they did a show together that was headlined by by phil baroni frank shamrock I haven't, honestly, I haven't done a whole lot of research on that. I think there may have been some contract disputes for why that event happened, but that was another instance of it. And then the last one I'll talk about, this one is my favorite one. So on a quick side note, Edmund, have you noticed the shirt that I'm wearing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> for those of you just listening, Eric is wearing a pride shirt. You know, oh the yeah, there's school. some stuff. Sorry? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the old-school Pride FC logo with the fists and the Thunderbolt. Yep, yeah. So there's some stuff on the... Uh, there's a little bit of a logo on the back. I'm not really sure how well you can see it. Probably what I'll do is I'll just take a picture of it and post it on our, on our social media. But anyway, I've been on a huge Japanese MMA binge. And when I found out, or when basically earlier this week to get myself in the mood for Bellator versus Ryzen, I went back to Dynamite 2009. So Dynamite was the New Year's Eve show that the, the company Fighting and Entertainment Group, which was the parent company of K1, that's, that was their New Year's Eve show. So in 2009, they had an organization called Dream, which was like a spiritual successor to Pride. And there was also another Japanese organization called World Victory Road. They presented Sengoku. And what happened on Dynamite 2009 is what they did is that they had nine cross-promotional bouts. Nine fighters from Dream, nine fighters from Sengoku, and they face off against each other. And hey, there were nine matches on there in odd numbers so that, barring any draws, we get, okay, who wins this series? Yeah, I, I think I remember that mainly because I remember like Alistair Overeem was on that. Oh, yeah, dude. And you I know what? The was... names on there, the names on there. You had Shinya Aoki, you had Tatsuya Kawajiri, you had Alistair Overeem. And it's so fresh in my mind. I just saw the event. He fought Kazuyuki Fujita and he knocked him the F 
out. That <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Did you ever see those fights? I'm just kind of curious. I may have. I know Aoki was like uh Shinya Aoki was a super rising star at that time. Yeah. And everybody was like just waiting for him to like somehow get out of dream and come to the UFC. Oh, dude, dude, um, that one of the dream fights that I always wanted that never happened. And I remember it was gaining a lot of momentum in late 2009. BJ Penn versus Shinya Aoki. That would. Yes, I remember talks about that back in those days. That's one of my top dream fights that never happened. And by dream fights, I don't mean the organization. I mean, like, match fantasy matchmaking. <laughs> but I also remember that event, uh, the Dynamite 2009, because yeah. at the time, like the 2000s, I was really into K1. And one of like one of the craziest like K1 kickboxes at the time was japanese kickboxer called masato and i knew like you his, were gonna say that that was his last kickboxing fight on that event so i remember like back then that was like kind of like that was like the biggest draw for me on that huge card just because i was like oh dude it's masato's last fight man like yeah yeah that that's the thing his retirement bout was on that card that main evented it that that main evented the whole show i mean it, it's kind of interesting that you're talking about what was the biggest draw for you? I mean, I kind of like I wasn't as familiar with kickboxing. So it's kind of along the lines of when I heard, oh, this is Masato's last fight. It didn't kind of hit me as hard because I was way more invested in mixed martial arts at that time. This was a year before I started watching K1 and kickboxing, all that stuff. So for me, it, it was kind of like I I saw that it was a big deal, but I didn't quite understand how big of a deal it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it, especially like. I feel like. I feel like during that time, it was like the transition between your traditional combat sports like kickboxing, boxing and wrestling, like it was slowly transitioning to everything being mma you know what i mean as far like what transition in terms of like popularity and like oh i see what news media outlets reported on and stuff like that was the time where it's like you started hearing more about mma than boxing on like espn or something you know yeah yeah but i mean i think it was just like I think it was just like for my ex own experience personally, it's just given what I was exposed to because I just entirely watched MMA. I didn't really, I, it just, I, I didn't, I wasn't really too familiar with it. And it's kind of one of those, like, if I don't know about it, then it doesn't quite hit me as hard. Like for me at that time, I was just kind of like, Oh, I want to like, I, I think at the time I may have even thought like, man, I wish there were less kickboxing bouts on here. I want to see more MMA bouts. <laughs> That's funny. I, I think for me, like I was like watching kickboxing because I did a lot of Kung Fu at the time. And, you know, besides doing karate tournaments and Kung Fu tournaments, the only other way, like where if you did like Kung Fu or karate or Taekwondo, the only other way you really got like quote unquote real fights was like through kickboxing. So, like, I guess, like, most of the kung fu circles, like, people were serious about competing were, like, 
watching kickboxing and like that's how i knew about kickboxing that's how i knew about kung lee and all that before like he even did mma Mm -hmm. and that's how i kind of got into like watching k1 a lot and stuff just because like in like that smaller circle of like i guess like traditional eastern martial arts like that was like the route you went to be like a professional fighter or a professional yeah to be a professional fighter just because i i think at the time like people still kind of looked at mma weird you know yeah but now everybody's kind of accepted it mm-hmm. so and and are you is this talking about within the asian region or culture or are you just talking about over globally i'm just saying at least at least in southern california oh in the small circle of kung fu practitioners oh okay okay yeah everybody looked at kickboxing because that's i mean even if you look at like the people with kickboxing backgrounds most of them come from like taekwondo karate or kung fu or something yeah this was not the time where like people would transition to mma i i think that happened like around like the early 2010s and mid 2010s like that's when everybody went to MMA instead of kickboxing. So the the time period that you're talking about the and the with the community that you were a part of all that stuff around what time period was this? You know, uh, that'd be like mid two thousands, late two thousands. Okay. So yeah, okay. around this time. <laughs> okay. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I, you know, it's interesting. I never actually knew that you were a fan of Masato. I don't know if we've ever really talked about that it's it's kind of it's kind of makes me it it makes me want to ask two questions to you Edmund one is Masato one of your favorite kickboxers and two when did you start watching kickboxing bouts like k1 and all that stuff (laughs) I'd say like Masato is probably one of my favorite fighters all time period you know like okay across all disciplines Interesting. Okay, I learned yeah. something new about you on this recording. I know, right? He just had like a really dynamic style, you know. Um, yeah. Especially like it was design funny and like if you're not familiar with like K one rules, it was like designed around that rule set of like a Grand Prix tournament where you're gonna show up, you're gonna fight one guy. If you win, you're gonna fight another guy, and if you win that, you'll fight the last guy. You know, it's like. His style was designed around that, you know, that sort of that Grand Prix multiple fights one night style. Exactly. And I I think we talked about like that in a previous episode about things we wish were but weren't or whatever. Right. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I get you. Because I mean, with K1 with their Grand Prix, they would have a lot of instances of that where the the last three fights of that tournament were in the same night. And it's kind of different because with MMA, it kind of got to a point where like they wouldn't have more than two fights on the same night. But if unless I'm mistaken, for instance, when Alistair Overeem won the the K1 World Grand Prix in 2010, he fought three of his fights on the same night. Yep, three times in one night. I mean, that's just that's insane, you know. If if we're thinking about it in like today's context, but like that was just regular back then. But anyways, yeah, yeah, like he was one of my favorite fighters, just because. I mean, if you just the thought of like fighting three separate 
three or four fights in one night is crazy, right? So the fact that like he was really active and dynamic through all of his fights just made him like a really big draw for me because he was just exciting all the time. And the best way I could like just kind of sum up his style in like a nutshell, it it'd almost be like watching a boxer fight a kickboxer, but the kick the the boxer knew how to throw and defend against kicks. Hmm. Okay. Like that that was his style. Like he'd always come forward punching. And I say it's like designed specifically for that Grand Prix tournament format. It's because obviously you know, throwing punches can take up less energy than throwing kicks. And while like most other fighters would focus on throwing a lot of leg kicks, conserving their energy so they're ready for like the next fight, he just come forward, you know, with punches really aggressively and like basically pummel you against the ropes for a knockout. And he had enough, like, knowledge of kick defense and, like, kicking techniques to, like, he had just enough, like, knowledge about kicking and the kicking game to just make his boxing super, super effective, which is, like, crazy. It was just more about his punches than his kicks, you know? Yeah. A lot of, if you watch, like, a lot of the K1 fights back then, a lot of people would go for a lot of leg kicks in the hopes that, okay, maybe you're tired from your last fight where you ate up a lot of leg kicks. So on this fight, that's going to be your weak point. Okay. Now, I'd say like Masato, he conditioned his legs to the point where a lot of leg kicks, he could just take a lot of leg kicks, A, and B... His entire game plan was to use his punches to really set up super hard kicks to the body or the legs, you know? Yeah. So if he wasn't going to knock you out with his hands, then it's going to leave you really exposed for a super hard leg kick or a body kick. Yeah. Okay. And and when did you start watching uh, kickboxing? I'm not sure if you already touched on that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Probably around high school. That's when I started doing martial arts. Okay. And that's like when I really got bit by the bug and started going, watching MMA, kickboxing, the UFC, and yeah, try to see what would work in like the context of what I learned from Kung Fu. I hear you. So like, that's one of the things about this card that I find particularly interesting is the cross promotional aspect of it, because this really isn't the this isn't really a thing that we see too often in mma and like we've been talking about dynamite 2009 that was such a huge drawing point for me was the fact that okay you have the top two major japanese organizations they're having their fighters compete against one another that was just really exciting for me and i remember during the broadcast they were even saying that this would basically be if ufc and strike force did a show together and Keep in mind, this was when Strike Force was still around. So it's just, I don't know. It, it's, 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 man, there's so many things that I can say about that whole aspect of it. It just, I don't know. Just that I feel like a big 
part of the sports history involves either co-promotion or lack of co-promotion for the most part. And just it just it just creates intrigue and I just feel like we've lost so many I guess here's the point that I'm trying to get at. There's a lot of bouts in mixed martial arts that we did not see because companies weren't willing to work together. We talk about BJ Penn and Shinya Aoki. That was a big reason why Fedor Emelianenko could uh, didn't sign with the UFC and I'm sure there's tons more examples. I mean, I agree, man. Like the whole the famous one is going to be Randy Couture and Fedor, right? The fight yep. that never happened. Or Fedor Brock, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying some people are different. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And I guess like my thing on that is I just, I wish it would happen more often as a fan it's always interesting to see like who is just the total undisputed heavyweight or middleweight in whatever weight division they're in. That, that, I mean, like, honestly, that, but also, even if there aren't championships on the line, it just kind of creates intrigue in the sense of there's this pride and i'm not talking about the organization i just mean pride in the, the in who you work for or who you represent or that in some instances it kind of creates this tribalism and i don't know i guess this is something that i kind of i mean i don't really know what the scene was like i don't know if there were some people who were more dream fans or sengoku fans i was kind of more of a dream fan when they did those those matchups and i guess this is a point that i kind of i guess this is another thing that i want to say I think, honestly, team concepts in mixed martial arts work. This is something that I never really got to say in our episode about the WFL, for instance. It's just that if you have teams that connect with people and they're linked to you, whether it's an organization, a country, a city, or whatever, people can get behind that. And that's kind of what Dream versus Sengoku did, where it's like, hey we want to reign supreme we want to prove we're the best and there's this rival group coming in and i'm not losing to them no i totally agree especially like just seeing the world cup that just happened right now you know that is a good example i mean i've never seen of course like we're americans who we don't really care about soccer until like the world cup happens right but right <laughs> <laughs> the fact that i just saw people automatically like choosing sides or picking their teams and obviously in the end like everybody turned into an argentina fan after watching like football or soccer for like two months <laughs> leading mm -hmm. up to the final game but yeah i i i get what you mean man like it totally there's an there's just definitely like a huge like social or like tribal element yeah, like you said, that that as like I feel like as human beings, it feels kind of natural to just kind of like want to choose sides or pick sides to something, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And I think like, yes, having like a team similar to like, you know, sports teams or something in MMA definitely it definitely does like make 
make fights somewhat kind of more exciting, I guess. It's almost like watching a basketball game. You don't have to do I don't I don't want to say you don't have to do as much research, but sometimes it's just easier to like I guess I'd imagine like flip on the TV and just see like a fight happening and just be like, "Oh, it's that team versus the other team and just get caught up in it a little bit easier maybe a little bit i mean i i guess like when you kind of look at it and i guess i'm saying this stuff because in this podcast we've talked about the ifl and just how looking back on it it had a good concept behind it but then also teams and like that storyline it's been part of the sport at times. I mean, look at the days with Pride Fighting Championship when you had Shoot-a-Box versus Brazilian Top Team, which were basically the two top competing teams in Brazil. The Shoot-a-Box had Shogun Hua, Vanderlei Silva. Brazilian Top Team had the Nogueira brothers, Ricardo Arona. It's like that was as big of a draw in those fights as the fight between the individuals themselves. So... And I don't know, it may just even be one of those things where the reason why that team concept draws and uh, draws so much or why there's that sort of loyalty is the fact that if you have one side that thinks that they're better than you, you're just thinking, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to prove that we're better, you know? Yeah. I think another good example of this where like a sport seems very individual, but the team concept really helps make the story more interesting would be like formula one i've been getting into like formula one for like the past couple of years um okay and it's if you think about it, it is a very individual sport you know because everyone's their own driver yeah everyone wants to just win the race but they also have like teams you know it's like you have like ferrari has two drivers red bull has two drivers Mercedes has two drivers and they're all working together as a team but then it's like they're I I feel like most the intrigue in the sport isn't just from the racing or the technical engineering of it it's also like the drama that being in the team like brings you know yeah yeah and that and that's a good example of like okay teams don't have to always just be based on location it could be bent it could be based on I guess group or organization or stuff like right. that and obviously it works i mean it, i don't i mean that's a perfect example of it with formula one yeah and i i think it's like it's already happened in mma you know i know like for the longest time team alpha male with like uh um, dominic cruz yeah yeah it's but a, like, basically dominic cruz basically versus dominic alpha cruz male. versus everybody in team alpha male like it was yeah. like bro like, well that I'll... was like a good you know as a casual fan you're probably like what what is this but it's like if you're like kind of deeper into it as yeah a more like engaged fan like that yep. was some really nice juicy drama that added some extra like excitement to each of those fights you know Exactly. I mean, another good example was UFC 202 when Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor rematched. On the prelim card, they actually had members of their team also competing against each other. Artem Lobov from SBG Ireland and Chris Avila, who was on Nate Diaz's team. So that kind of built up into the storyline too right there. And 
Yeah. yeah. And I guess the most infamous example was the Khabib McGregor fight where, <laughs> you know, <laughs> McGregor throwing, like, literally assaulting basically Khabib's team when they were, like, traveling on the bus. And then the whole brawl that happened afterwards, like, yes. I remember at the time people were, like, saying, oh, this is such a disgrace to MMA and blah, blah, blah. But also, I'm like, yes, but also, like, people want this drama i mean there's a reason why reality tv is like more popular than narrated fictional tv you know just hmm. because i mean even though really reality tv is pretty scripted nowadays but it's like oh, it yeah. just seems like real raw drama and people i i feel like people not necessarily they want that but it's it seems it feels more engaging when it feels more real, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, people are a lot more invested if there's actual animosity, which with this whole, with the whole Habib Connor stuff, it's kind of like, if it's, you know, if it's genuine dislike, then yeah, it's, it's really, it's really powerful. If it's all an act, they're doing a damn good job out of that. Well, I mean, that's why Connor sells fights. I don't like. I believe he is a bit of a, a bit of that prick. Yeah, you know. Uh, but I truly believe, like, at least seventy-five percent of that is like a persona. You know, like I feel like a small part of it is true, but <laughs> for the most part, it's just an an elevated version of himself. You know, I mean, there's there's pro. I mean, I kind of believe that, too, or I'm kind of on the same I'm on board as far as, OK, there's some OK, that's who he actually is. And then there's some putting on a show. But I've honestly never invested in what the percentages are between the two. I mean, yeah, I honestly I'm not a big fan <laughs> of stuff like that. either. Oh, yeah, I we really, know that. Yeah, I really just like watching the fights themselves. But, you know. I feel like that's that's why he was so popular. That's why these like these fighters who do a lot of trash talking get so popular to the point where now it's like it's a part of the game. Like you're not even marketable if you don't do any trash talking whatsoever. Yeah. I think I saw like a clip of like Colby Covington or someone like before he got big, he was just doing like a standard <laughs> boring interview and then one year later he puts on that whole persona of like being this crazy hardcore like conservative yeah trump fighter supporter. for america yeah which is like you know there's probably a small grain of truth to that but i don't think he's like i don't know here's the part where it's like i really don't know but it's like i don't think he's that much of a bigot maybe you know i feel like he puts that on to sell fights because what the story was they were going to kick him out of the ufc because even though he was winning he wasn't that big of a draw yeah so once he put on that bigot persona boom he stayed like yeah it's absolutely insane so i mean so that all being said i think maybe back to your point of like having teams i think having a team would mean like you know wouldn't have to be such a outrageous extreme personality yeah i can see that 
Okay, I, feel like I, I get at what least you mean. There'd be like a group of you together. You don't have to rely on just one person, one brand, and then you're competing against every other fighter out there who is their own team and brand in itself. I feel like you know, there's yeah, something that unifies. I, 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 I yeah. think I think I may understand what you're saying. There's something that unifies them, and it's kind of along the lines of it kind of narrows their focus. So, like, I don't know. It's I guess when I thinking about it out loud, actually, it's a combination of a lot of factors. But those are some of the things I think about where it unifies people. It focuses who you direct your antics towards, and there's just something that brings y'all together. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I know I wasn't like the biggest fan of like teams in MMA when we did that episode. Oh, the but, like, WFL. Yeah, but now after talking through all this, like it might be it might be good for the sport just for the fact that like you don't have to be this extreme personality to be a successful fighter anymore. Like the team can handle it like the team in itself can handle it and you can just focus more on the fighting mm. i think i just had my light bulb moment about that just now i mean if, if that makes sense to you it does i just have some bad news for you with regards to wfl what um there's not much of an update from them. I mean, we don't I mean, have yeah. time. We don't That's... have time to get into this, but I remember I messaged you this saying, yeah, so they're a couple months away and just there's no news and like I mean, yeah. I I remember. That's not that's not new news. That's old news at this point, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I was just like I I understand what you mean about liking the team concept, but as far as the WFL getting off the ground, Mm, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, we we don't have time to get into that right now. But but the sorry, were you gonna say something? Well, I mean, I was just thinking, like trying to research for this card because really, I'm not too familiar with Bell all the Bellator roster and their fighters, yeah. nor am I too familiar with all the Ryzen fighters. Yeah, because really, I may nowadays I mainly just watch UFC and one and even then it's like i miss out on a lot of events they have in between right but the fact that it was you know clear-cut one side versus the other you know granted living in america i'm a little bit biased so i was like more more biased in researching the bellator fighters yeah for this episode like yeah it, it kind of helped like to kind of like pick a side already you know keep, keep in mind there is a whole bunch of other fights before that it's right. not just bellator versus ryzen basically ryzen they have this event and they have however many fights on there and it's just like one of those things where five of the fights and i guess the main card or the 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 headlining bouts are going to be the bellator ryzen fights on there but i mean the fact that they're having this company this 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 face off between the two companies it's such a huge draw it's it's getting interest and it's drawing people's attention to it so it's it's a very big deal it's i mean i don't know if this is the biggest cross promotional effort in mma but 
it just i mean even with what you're saying or just the points that you're bringing up the fact that they have two sides going up against one another it's easier to follow or just that brings that makes you want to watch it yeah i mean because even knowing nothing about any of the main card the main event aj mckee versus roberto de souza i I didn't know who they were until like I researched and I, I was like, oh, AJ McKee's like this wrestler. He's fought in like Bellator. <laughs> he's like ranked number two or three pound for pound in that organization. Yeah. Well, here's I was like, I didn't well, know all that. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll admit the same thing. Like I haven't just given the fact of where Ryzen airs. I haven't been able to like watch a whole lot of the events. I watched their debut event in 2015, but that was because they aired those on on Paramount TV. I think it was tape delayed or something, but I haven't been able to pay too much attention to it. So truth be told, I didn't really know who a lot of these fighters were. Funny, funnily enough, I knew who Hiromasa Ogikubo was. I'll get into a reason for that later, but the thing is, is like when I research these guys, you learn that they're legit. They're a very, they, they got some skills to them and they're legit and they have some good credentials on them. And I can share with, I can, I can go into detail that I just want to give you a chance to respond. No. Yeah. I mean, I always saw, no offense, but I always saw Bellator as kind of this second tier organization where old UFC fighters go to retire. <laughs> That's always been that stigma, but it's like, just looking at like these five guys, like my brief research, I was like, okay, they're actually like pretty legit fighters. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. They're like not just some, some like dude who is killing it in the local promotions but not good enough for the ufc and now he's just in this mid-tier thing it's like no actually some of these guys are pretty legit and the fact that they didn't make it in the ufc could just be a personal decision because they don't want to deal with whatever the negotiations are or whatever that the ufc wants to do you know yeah well i mean I think, that... uh yeah like i think mighty mouse was on Joe Rogan's podcast recently and he talked about how like he left the UFC to go to one just because the whole fact that he didn't have to like negotiate for certain things was just a huge relief for him like, yeah and and yeah. also just the fact that there were certain pressures from the UFC organization that he wouldn't have to deal with in one championship and also another big consideration for him was the fact that in Asia, they're a little more open and receptive to the lighter weight classes. So he felt like there wasn't going to be as much of a barrier for him to become a star or make money and all that stuff in Asia like he would have in the UFC. And then I think, for instance, Kyoji Horiguchi, he decided not to re-sign with UFC because he wanted to fight in Japan. And just there's mul there's a multitude of different reasons for why that, that would be why certain fighters would go or not go to ufc right so that totally like changed my stigma i guess about bellator or i guess in this case now any other organization just because sometimes you just 
you just don't want to go to the UFC, not because you're not good. It's just because, you know, quality of life matters sometimes, you know? Yeah. Or it just doesn't work for you or it just, it's not, right, it's not what's right. best for you. And you know, sorry, were you going to say something? Okay. So it's like when we look at these guys credentials, for instance, Roberto de Souza, he's 14 and one in MMA. He has 10 submission wins and four knockouts. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's avenged his only loss in MMA. The last four wins that he has are by triangle choke or armbar, some variation of that. So, And he's the current Ryzen lightweight champion. So that right there, okay, I'm just giving you a quick summary of his skills and his background. That right there is legit. His opponent, AJ McKee. He's 19 and one in MMA. The only loss that he ever had was to Patricio Pitbull and they're one and one in their series. He's the former Bellator featherweight champion and he's got six KOs, seven submissions and six decision wins. So this is a big fight. This is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, just on paper with those records, it's like, you're, you're you're literally picking like the two best representatives for each organization and putting them against each other. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's essentially the whole main card, right? The top five guys from Bellator fighting the top five guys in Ryzen. Yeah, the, yeah. It's it, that's basically the idea behind it is that you put your best guys against uh, our best guys. We'll see what happens with that. And I mean, like. I guess the the one thing that I really want to emphasize is that for me, not knowing who these guys were, looking into their skills and their background, doing the research for it, it gets me really excited for this fight. Especially when you look at, for instance, D'Souza, he has most of his wins by submission, and you kind of wonder, and this is based on some of the other podcasts I've listened to, like Morning Combat or all that stuff, you wonder how AJ McKee's striking or or his overall overall being more i guess well-rounded will impact this fight just given the fact that like all his wins are basically the same with ko submission decisions yeah i mean i'm just saying that like for me personally i'm way more pumped up about this fight like knowing okay d'souza is the real deal i'm i i just i'm intrigued to see how this fight plays out yeah like on paper it looks really good and i'm actually like kind of excited just to like dive back deep into like the past catalog and just it's almost like it's almost mean? like learning or like watch it, it it's it's exciting because these are two smaller organizations than the ufc so they don't have as much coverage i feel like whatever like whatever opinion I formulate from these guys, it's going to be a little more original. Yeah. It'll be less influenced by like whatever the biggest podcasters or the main YouTubers or like the main guys on ESPN say, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this it's two smaller organizations. They're two really legit dudes. And the fact that there's less coverage on it means it's a little more, of an original opinion yeah. and I, you know, formulate who I'm going to pick to win this card or whatever, you know? 
Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, one of the things that I kind of came across or one of the things that I thought about, like one of the things that I was thinking about when I was researching this fight, because one of the things I was kind of taking away from this, at least when I started, when because the way I prepped for this was that I started with the AJ McKee D'Souza fight. I started researching for that bout, and then I just went down the card. And after that is Patricio Pitbull versus Kleber Koike Erps, uh, or it might be Kleber or Kleber Koike Erst. For the pronunciation, I apologize. I'm I just I've heard those two variations, so those. So I'm just gonna go with calling him Erps from here on out. So those were the first two fights that I researched. And when I was looking at their credentials or how they won their fights and all that stuff, one of the things I thought about was that submissions were going to be... A, it, it, how, how do I want to put this? Hold on. How do I want to put this? Basically, I thought to myself that submissions might be a big component for some of these fights. And I guess I'll, uh, to be fully transparent with everybody, when I was researching because those were the first two fights, I thought, oh yeah, and then Kyoji Horiguchi and o Oki Kubo, the submissions are going to play a part in that fight too. But then as I saw that they don't have quite as many sub wins, it's kind of like, okay, and, and after hearing the morning combat crew, it's like, okay, they kind of meant more submissions are going to be a big component for the first two fights. But that was just one of the takeaways before I even heard anything that anyone else was saying, I thought, damn, submissions might be big in the, in the, in the two main fights. Yeah, I feel like I feel like at least the perception is that a lot of fighters from Japan tend to have like a more well-rounded game and the ground game component is is like huge is yeah. because a lot of them have a background in judo or jiu-jitsu already or even wrestling really and yeah, it, it's it, they just seem a lot more well-rounded, at least in the past. I don't know about now because I haven't followed any MMA from Japan ever since Pride went down and then Dream went down and yeah, you know. but yeah, I I just feel like a lot of MMA game from Japan is like really focused on the ground, and maybe that's because. They were the OG inventors of essentially like jujitsu, which you know, yeah, has totally influenced I, MMA and martial arts as a whole. So I I get what you that. mean. <laughs> like I get what you mean. Just given like I guess if you look at the history of martial arts, or if you just look at the culture and what's available to people in Japan, it would make sense that okay they would be very grappling jujitsu or submission heavy in that region. So I, I get what you mean by that. And just when you look at these guys, I mean, at least for the guys on the Ryzen side, I mean, submissions are a big component of both of their games. I went through D'Souza's uh, or D'Souza's credentials, but when you look at Erb's, his record is 31, five and one. 27 of his wins are by submission and 13 of those submission wins are triangle choke submissions. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Needless That's to say crazy. he has a needless to say he has a black belt in jujitsu as well. 
Well, that was like what? That was like when remember, I don't know if you're still following jujitsu at the time, but that was like when Hodger Gracie was just dominating like jujitsu tournaments. And yeah. it was like people said, Oh, he call out either like arm bar or like the baseball bat choke and he'd only use those two to like win entire jujitsu tournaments with just two submissions you know like <laughs> that it almost sounds as crazy as like that you know what i mean yeah yeah i get that i mean he's i mean both of the both of those guys they're really good at submissions and it's just i don't know it's almost like that's part of the thing that's kind of creating the intrigue the intrigue in me because okay i go from not knowing who these guys are learning a little bit more about them realizing how much submissions and brazilian jiu-jitsu is a part of their game and just kind of wanting to see how it will be implemented or how it could play out in this fight you know just just this simple idea okay these are legit guys with really legit skills and I actually thought that maybe this is something that you would be interested in as well, honestly, Edmund. I mean, the whole card in general. Well, no, 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 just the the how like the jujitsu aspect of both Earps oh. and D'Souza's games. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm still looking into it, of course, but yeah, they are like very grappling heavy, and you know what? I like stumbled on a couple like YouTube commentators and stuff. We're doing some predictions just to like try to get like what a handle on this. And uh, I don't know. Some of these guys are just saying, yes, yeah, so-and-so has like a good wrestling background, but like D'Souza is so dangerous on the ground. It's like, would that even matter if you can ground and pound him? Because once you're on the ground, you're exactly where you, he wants you to be and he'll just submit you. And like the fact that like that, his jujitsu is that much of a threat where even if you get a top position and you start ground and pounding, he can still submit you there. It's like, I don't think I've heard anyone talk about someone's like ground game from working off their back. Like so good since probably like BJ Penn or even like Hoist Gracie way back when, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I would also say that Shinya Aoki was a, was a guy who yes, was really good Shinya, from his like, guard. But yeah. I, I mean, but it's like you rarely, you rarely hear someone like give someone's jujitsu so much credit. Where it's like, even if you're on top of him and beating his face in, he can still submit you easily. Like, I think that's a, I think that's a powerful statement. Just given the fact that now that I'm thinking about it, it seems as though the trend in mixed martial arts is to, is is the idea that hey you would rather be you would rather be the guy on top i mean obviously just generally yeah you do but it's become even more so in modern day mixed martial arts and it's kind of difficult to get submissions while being on the on your back in the guard almost well i i think it's just evolution of like the sport you know yes yeah. I remember when like people started seeing like Hoist Gracie work off of his back, people were like blown away that, oh my God, you can submit someone while on your back. It's like, yeah, that's the whole point of jujitsu. And then <laughs> yeah. we got to a point where like the wrestlers were just dominating because 
jujitsu hasn't evolved yet you know to the point to really dealing with like heavy top pressure and really dynamic like wrestlers but yeah. now yeah I, I think it's the game has changed to the point where people have a game plan or safeguards in place for really heavy active wrestlers and yeah they, they have a game plan to stop that now too so yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of like evolution. And then probably in a couple of years from now, someone's going to say, oh, yeah, jujitsu is not effective anymore and blah, blah, blah. And the whole cycle continues, you know. OK, OK, I see what you mean now. So I guess the two takeaways I have from that is that my point originally was that even though there is this evolution and this trend, it's interesting to see someone who's, I guess, doing something different and able to accomplish his goals in a way in a different way than what the evolution of the game is dictating and but now i'm sort of thinking with what you just said it's kind of gonna maybe be one of those things where okay everyone's thinking that the game is transitioning to being more top like basically you're more successful on top but then the trend might be at some point it goes back to hey being on your back and getting submissions I think it's kind of happening, not maybe not working off your back per se, but at least in the UFC, like, and one, like the ground game is way more dynamic than, you know, back then. Oh yeah. Like people's guards are a lot more active. People are working to get off their back and to like get better positions at least. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I, I think that just leads into people working off their back to straight up get submissions instead of positions, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just saying that because I guess in the course of this conversation, kind of thinking about it a little bit, that is something that's kind of occurred to me is that, I don't know, it just almost seems like there's some type of transition to top heavy games i i mean i don't know maybe it's just it maybe i'm not doing a good enough job at kind of explaining it right now but it's just kind of like one of those things where i guess the idea of just not being on top is unfavorable like that's kind of been where the sport has been heading the last several years yeah and i mean truth be told it's never favorable but i think being stuck in someone's guard is going to get a little more respect nowadays than whereas back then it's like, well, I'm in your guard, but I can still punch you kind of attitude. Yeah. And, I mean? and keep in mind, that's why earlier I put the disclaimer that of course you want to be on top, but it's like, it, it, uh, uh, there are some periods in the sport where being on the ground is like a death sentence. And other times it's kind of like, Oh, it's challenging, but this is doable. Right, right, right. You know? But there's something interesting about this Pitbull Erps match. So I'm not sure if you saw this. Erps is the current Ryzen featherweight champion, and Pitbull, he's the current Bellator featherweight champion. So this particular bout is literally champion versus champion. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Which it's a little interesting because when you look at Pitbull, who's. I mean, I'm sure there's a reason for that, but if this bout is champion versus champion and Pitbull is Bellator star, his mainstay guy, uh, th their mainstay guy, or just the the fighter that the that that is synonymous with Bellator, I'm kind of surprised that this isn't the main event. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I mean, I I can tell you why. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not, not sure. Too like, familiar if with everything I, I guess it's like if 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 AJ McKee was the Bellator lightweight champion, I I could understand that being the main event and. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't want to criticize the matchmaking because I really don't know. It just was a little surprising to me. And like something else about Pitbull as far as his skills, this is, and or his his accolades, he is in his third reign as the Bellator featherweight champion. He's also the former Bellator lightweight champion. There was a period of time where he had both of those titles at the same time. And... I know I said this isn't too much of a prediction episode when I was messaging you, but for this particular one, I think I can safely say that I'm I'm favoring uh, uh, Pitbull in this one. I mean, go team USA. Is he even from the US? <laughs> no, I mean he's he's he might be training in, oh, no, he's, it, he's but he's Brazilian. Brazilian. I mean, never mind then. No, know. no, but I I'm not. It's not about like where I'm from or anything like that. I'm just saying I favor him because just given what he's accomplished and his skill set and just i don't know i feel like pitbull has a little more ways to win i suppose than erps does i'll take your word on that i'm yeah, still I mean, i'm still really trying to formulate an opinion on all the fighters i guess the the only one i really kind of i don't even really know anything about it but i heard somewhere that I think someone said like Khabib is actually helping the Bellator team during mm. training camps right now. Really? Really? Okay, this is news to me. I have. I, I think I... he's like training like the the first fighter. Oh, uh, you mean Godzi Rabadinov? Yeah, I think he's training him, mm. and then just by that, someone said, "Oh, he's also training the rest of the Bellator team." I don't know how much truth there is to that statement, but mm. I can always get behind most of the people they're training with Khabib, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know they're going to be legit. I mean, you honestly, if any, if, if, if there's, if anything, if anything, it's been shown to us that training with Khabib cannot hurt you. And I guess depending on Rabadinov's background, it would make sense that he's training with Habib Nurmagomedov, and he's going to be in the first Bellator Ryzen fight when he goes up against Koji Takeda. It's interesting because, like, when we're talking about familiarity with these fighters and all that stuff, probably the the one that I was most familiar with was, funnily enough, Hiromasa Ogikubo. He's on the Ryzen side. He's going up against Kyoji Horiguchi, and the reason why I knew about him the most out of all these guys was because he actually was on that ultimate fighter season in 2016 where it was flyweight champions or 125 pound champions from all these different organizations and the winner would get a flyweight title shot and he actually made it to the finals of that tournament but lost the the tournament final to tim elliott who went on to fight demetrius johnson so that's how i knew i mean when we're just looking at the ryzen guys that was the one that i knew the most about yeah interesting it's yeah. like it, it, i think it reinforces the point what like, point i was trying to make earlier like these guys are legit and like just because you're not in the ufc it 
it doesn't mean you're not a legit fighter, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. And you know what? I'm actually happy that you said that because that's a big thing to try to get across is how legit these guys are, even though they might not be the most well-known. Right, right. I mean, even even if you were just to, like, look at Hiromasa, he's a former Shudo featherweight and bantamweight champion where in that organization the, the weight was 132 pounds and 123 pounds, respectively. And then, you know, Kyoji Horiguchi, he fought in the UFC. He actually challenged for the flyweight title. And he's done really... I mean, I know he's on a little bit of a rough stretch right now, but he's he's done really well for himself in his career. Yeah. I mean, super, super interesting. And it just, it makes me feel bad about myself for having that previous, like, interpretation, I guess, of these other organizations. But I'm glad it's kind of changing for the better, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. You just, you just learn from mistakes and you kind of, I don't know, you just kind of move on or just, it's, you know, I don't think you need to be like, basically I'm saying it's nothing to feel ashamed about. It's just, you know, you learn something and then you grow from it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Getting too sentimental here, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, Kyoji, he, I mean, like, look at it this way. Look at it this way with Kyoji Horiguchi. Since he fought Demetrius Johnson in 2015 for the flyweight title, he's had a record of 15 and three. And at one point, he was like on a 13-fight win streak. So this is a guy who's definitely has the skills to be successful. And he's like, he's he's not, I guess, he's not past his prime by any stretch of the imagination. And that's 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 about I'm looking forward to. And he's got, you know, Kyoji's got a lot of uh, accolades to himself as well, being the shooto featherweight champion he's uh the current ryzen bantamweight champion in his second reign he's a former bellator bantamweight champion and the 2017 ryzen bantamweight grand prix champion and i guess just as a you know i didn't really get a chance to talk about this or do a whole lot of research on this but juan archuleta versus su chul kim i mean once again juan archuleta former bellator bantamweight champion so you got legit people on here yeah, I know. And it's, I'm kind of excited just because it's like a New Year's event. I don't think I've really watched any of the Japanese like New Year's events since like the 2009 one. Oh, okay. And yeah, it, it just seems cool. You know, this, this seems like such a cool concept. It's a good way to like just introduce, I guess, fans to like a new, a whole new, lineup of fighters and stuff like yeah i think it's pretty cool oh yeah i i definitely agree and you know it's a good honestly this is kind of a good exposure well not kind of it is good exposure for some of the lesser known fighters to be able to kind of get that stage and honestly kind of i guess make a name for themselves if they have a particularly good performance and all that stuff It'll be it'll be a way for them to kind of get their name out to the masses and become more popular. I, I guess like one of the things that I wanted to mention that I forgot earlier was that one of the reasons why I thought that the two main fights would be would appeal to you a lot is because given what I've learned about you, Edmund, in this podcast, is the fact that 
you seem like okay hypothetical scenario if mckee ended up submitting to souza i feel like given what i know about you being impressed by non-brazilians submitting brazilians that would just i i wonder if like that thought you were thinking about like you were thinking maybe that could happen in this bout and what your reaction to that would be if it were to happen i mean if that were that'd be pretty crazy i just like i said it i'm still doing my research so until like i feel i'm at a good enough place to finally put some emotional investment in a fighter to win you know i just right now i'm not quite sure just because maybe i'm a bigger DeSouza fan and having McKee submit him would totally devastate me i don't know oh i see <laughs> it can okay. go either way i'm not specifically anti-brazilian or i love to see brazilians lose while getting submitted no 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 no. i'm not no no i'm not saying that you enjoy it i'm just saying that it like impresses you because i remember what was your 2021 submission of the year when when brandon defeated davison so like that that's what i'm basing that opinion on oh okay gotcha gotcha. yeah yeah so just make that clear but don't come after me brazilians please (laughs) and i guess like one i guess one other thing that i just wanted to mention about kyoji horiguchi i guess like one of the things that kind of impresses me about him is just the fact that despite that loss to Demetrius Johnson back in 2015, he's been able to, for the most part, stay on form. And he's not, I guess, like, to see him have such continued and high-profile success even after leaving the UFC, it just, it makes me happy to see just that he can make a name for himself and he's still able to make a living outside of, I guess, the what you would call the biggest organization in the ufc and just it just shows how good he is really because it's like okay he lost to dj but after that went on a hell of a streak and like i said 15 and 3 in the last seven years so i like seeing that one of the things to just point out is that these fights will be in a ring and yeah that's gonna be totally different that's gonna change up the wrestling game for a lot of these guys who are used to fighting in cages a lot yeah i mean it's gonna be i mean it it's it'll be interesting because the platform the whether you're in a cage or a ring that definitely changes things and just the i mean basically with uh ryzen you know we talk a lot about pride and everything it just kind of caters to that because they have the similar rule set to pride they have the stomps, they have the soccer kicks, they have the knees, all that shit. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it'll be an adjustment. I, I guess you could say they have home field advantage in some ways, the Ryzen guys. I mean, a little bit, but the that's, I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really invest too much in like, oh, home field advantage. I I, I just wouldn't because basically patricio and aj mckee for instance they're too good for that and just that you know the i mean the the crowd is very i guess the crowd is very polite and very very kind to the fighters so it's not like they're going to be hooting and hollering at them well that shit. I, I just i just mean that it's familiar rule set you're in a ring yeah it, it's like you know sure it's not it's a slight advantage but 
I feel like an advantage nonetheless, you know. I think what when uh, Mighty Mouse was fighting Rod Tang <laughs> in like the one Muay Thai MMA mix, it's like he had some issues just because he's not used to the rule set, you know. So like even like the minor minor change in rule set, I think it might play a small difference. Yeah. The ring versus cage thing is going to be huge in terms of the wrestling, I feel like. Yeah, well, I mean, we won't. it won't be long before the event happens, especially with the time zone difference that Japan has. We're all going to find out about this stuff very, very soon. Yeah, perhaps even when you're listening to this episode. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, I don't have anything else that I wanted to say. Did you have... Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, this is, like I said at the beginning, this is our last episode of 2022. I, I probably should have said this at the beginning, but anyone who's listening to this, I hope you had a good holiday season. I hope this new year, it's good as well that you enjoy it. Happy New Year. And it's another full calendar year of the podcast down. And I think there is some significant growth with our podcast and the channel or just people who are following us. So I don't know. I just, it, I'm just excited to take what we did this year and then take that into the next year and just see if we can do it bigger and better. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of like how I was at the beginning of 2022. I'm excited to see what the, what 2023 has to offer for us. But, you know, as far as, as far as th this year goes, that's going to wrap it up. As always, thank you guys so much for listening to our episode. I know I always uh, mention about our social media and stuff, and I'm going to do that too. But if you guys also wanted to give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, do that as well. As always, our Instagram is at Unified Rules Podcast. Our Twitter is at Unified Rules PO1. And if you want to email us, you can do so at Unified Rules Podcast at gmail.com. Take care, everybody. Enjoy the fights. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2023.